listeners and lurkers. I'm Amy Johnston. And I'm Alan Johnston. And we're so happy that you're joining us for The Last Isle. This week, we'll be covering the 2016 movie, The Autopsy of Jane Doe, directed by Andre Uverdahl and written by Ian Goldberg and Richard Nong. This movie asks the question, what if you worked with your dad in a morgue, and what if that morgue housed a naked dead lady that made you trip balls and try to kill you? (laughs) I'm excited to do another movie in this setting. The cold sanitized setting of a morgue is the juiciest of horror fruit. It's already noteville for most. Would you ever work in a morgue, Alan's sister? Um, maybe. We uh, maybe. I don't know that I would. It maybe at the front desk. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Maybe taking phone calls. <laughs> well, my friends, there's really so much we got to jump into here. But first, if you'll indulge me, a dramatic reading of the back of the box. Experienced coroner Tommy Tilden and his grown-up son Austin run a family-owned morgue and crematorium in Virginia. When the local sheriff brings in an emergency case, Jane Doe, found in the basement of a home where a multiple homicide took place, it seems like just another open and shut case. But as the autopsy proceeds, these seasoned professionals are left reeling as each layer of their inspection brings frightening new revelations. While a violent storm rages outside, it seems the real horrors lie on the inside. What do you remember about your uh, first experience with this movie? Um, Obviously, it's a newer movie, so it hasn't been that long since I first saw it. I feel like I actually saw it not that long after it came out, maybe like a year or so. Um, yeah. It really, I enjoyed it. I remember like really liking it the first time I saw it. Yeah. Um, it had you know, less of the overt, you know, slasher, gory, whatever that a lot of movies I like do have. Um, But it's kind of a slow burner, which I like. Um, There's a little bit of a psychological element to it, which I like. And um, I mean, we'll get into it once we kind of get into the movie, but the effect work is phenomenal. Yeah, we'll definitely get the to acting talk about is top notch. I mean, like it's it's a really good movie overall. So I I really remember enjoying it. And so when we said we wanted, I think I may have even suggested you cover this one, yeah. and I was just as excited for you to cover it. Yeah. So I could watch it again. Yeah, for sure. Um, And I mean, honestly, I think I watched the movie the first time alone and I absolutely loved it. And then I think I watched it again or at least the second half of it with my mom because she was watching it alone at her house and it was too creepy for her. And like, that's right. Didn't you go over and finish it with her? I think so. Like, I think she made me just in case she needed to like hold my hand because she does love horror movies. That's where we but get. But she our also love. loves to hold hands during the scary. She parts. also does like to maybe claw your arms up if she gets too scared, um, which is great, and we love her for it. Well, before we tie a bell to this un- unidentified corpse, let's get into it. Here at The Last Dial, we want to remain mindful of sensitive topics, so we're offering a content warning for the following episode. The following movie analysis will include discussions pertaining to the Salem Witch Trials, as well as sexual and physical violence. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Enjoy the rest of our podcast, and thank you, listeners and lurkers. Caution. Spoilers ahead. The movie opens with an eerily quiet first 60 seconds. We hear crows cawing and rustling wind, then a view of a large but unremarkable house. 
The shutter of a camera tries to give us our first jump scare as we try to focus our eyes inside a dimly daylit crime scene. A crime scene investigator takes pictures of a violent triple death. Among the bloody things, the camera flashes to various evidence number cards pointing out blood-soaked carpet and a long knife. An older woman, at least 70, deceased, and an older man, at least 70, deceased. Unclear if homicide or suicide, but it appears pretty bloody. Yeah. We also see a younger man, not white, as the aforementioned victims. Sheriff Burke, played by Michael McCallaton, looks over the bloody crime scene when a deputy over the walkie-talkie says that he'd better get down there. As Burke makes his way down to a basement or fruit cellar, one thing is very clear. It was a bloodbath, whatever happened. <laughs> and I'm over here with my fucking true crime watch and ass trying to like look at the blood spatter patterns on the wall. And I'm like, what happened here? What yeah. angle? Like, Yeah, and there's blood spray all over, everywhere. The, all over the walls. Down everywhere. the plastic, hung precariously. It's like a classic Dexter paint job. Yeah. Burke makes his way over to the dirt floor patch where the other CSI and deputies are congregating and sees what he had been summoned for. Down in the ground is a partially unearthed body, pale but not ghostly. It's a young woman, no older than 25, lying face up as though she's sleeping. Burke asks if she has ID on her, and the deputy responds that no, she has no relation to Paul and Carol, we assume the two older victims inside the main house. Mm -hmm. Lieutenant Wade, played by Jane Perry, asks Burke who she is. Burke says for now she's a Jane Doe. He then asks Wade if she has something, inviting her to report her findings. She says nothing was stolen. The entrances to the home don't look like anyone broke in. She ominously reports it looks like they were trying to break out. Nope. No alarm bells there. No. And yeah. <laughs> One ticket to Nobesville, please. Yeah. <laughs> in the next scene, slow crawling interior shots of an early 20th century craftsman style home. Complete with an ornate iron winding staircase, which I simultaneously wanted and am terrified of ever having to use. I've never I, climbed one of those stairs and I'm like kind of kind of scared of them. I am so I am just like you. I'm so drawn to them when I see them with the winding like iron wrought iron staircase. But yeah. then I'm like, that is a good way to like if you slip and fall, you're not going to fall all the way down. You're going to get wedged in the middle or you're going to just fly over the railing. And yeah. Fall to your Either way, it's just a, it's not a great. But I want one, you know. Just for decoration. Just for decoration and never climb it, ever. Nope. The camera passes over a picture of a young family, apparently taken around the late 70s to early 80s, standing in front of the home and a sign that reads, Tilden Morgan Crematorium, established 1919. The camera pushes to the end of the hall to a large turquoise industrial-looking door with an aluminum kick plate. Inside the morgue, Midnight Black by Temperance Movement plays as father and son work through an autopsy silently, bagging, tagging, and categorizing. Their dance seems familiar and routine. You get the immediate sense that they've done this thousands of times together. As they work, on the table is a body covered in burns from head to toe. The macabre view of the burned corpse, the sound of the bone saw, and the otherwise spooky images are juxtaposed against the permeating high-energy rock song. Dude, this burn effect is so well done. Please tell oh my me God. everything. So I completely agree with you. It's, I rewatched it today to take notes, and I had to pause it here and go 
find out as much as I possibly could about the effects team. So the lead makeup effects designer was a man named Christian or Christian Mallet. Mm-hmm. Um, he works for a company called KMFX, and they are one of the leading effects studios in the United Kingdom. This film was shot in London. I had a feeling it yeah. wasn't here. Yeah. Um, so the KMFX has worked on Guardians of the Galaxy. They've worked oh, on wow. Black Mirror. Oh, um, nice. They did The Theory of Everything, which is the one with mm-hmm. Stephen Hawking. Yeah. They worked on St. Maud, which I know you and I absolutely oh, both love that, that movie. movie. So good. Uh, tons of others. Yeah. I actually, they have a gallery on their website of all the stuff that they've worked on. They do a lot of work and uh, like they've worked quite a few times with Benedict Cumberbatch and made him look all sorts of crazy ways and oh, aged and whatever. God, yeah. Ever, but yeah, from the very beginning, from this very first shot of this, like obviously burnt body, I'm like, yeah. we are in for a good makeup, yeah. good effects ride. Like, yeah. I'm super excited already. If nothing else, just that great. Yeah. Just as they finish the final cleanup, an Austin Tilden, played by Emil Hirsch, cleans and orders the medical equipment. Dad washes his hands and quizzes cause of death. Austin suggests they skip that part tonight, indicating that this is a father and son tradition of sorts, or perhaps more accurately, a superior employee. Like, I'm getting kind of like it. Does it feels a little cold? It doesn't feel very dad yet, dad and son yet. No, I, I mean, but it's a family, yet a family working business. relationship. Yeah, you and I have even gone through it just recording this podcast. Like, we're That's sisters, true. we're best friends, but we also have like. Okay, well, this, I'm not telling you this is my sister. I'm, like, telling you this is my, like, business podcast partner. That's true. So, I mean, I get it. you got to kind of split yeah. it off a little bit. Tommy Tilden, played by the absolute legendary actor Brian Cox, urges his son, assuring him that this one is a softball. Austin three-point shoots a paper towel into a waste bin and says, smoke inhalations. An obvious answer, given the victim's mesquite-smoked exterior. <laughs> I want barbecue soon. <laughs> is this a bad time to say that? <laughs> yes, it is. And you're a cannibal. Continue. <laughs> Tommy, or dad, as I'll probably call him for the rest of the movie, as he reminds me of our father, oh my God. challenges Austin, you're telling me smoke inhalation killed Mr. Howard? Austin points out the damaged nasal passage, throat and lungs. Yes, damaged lungs, dad concedes, but incompatible with life. When Austin suggests dad is saying that it's not the cause of death. Dad states that he's just saying for Austin to look before he leaps. He continues, the house was on fire, but the front door was 30 feet away and the victim is not trying to get there. There's smoke in the lungs, but the airway is not nearly denuded enough. I had to look up what that meant. Denuded? Yeah, it <laughs> yeah, means, it means tell me. the layers of the top layers of like the airways in this in this context, that the the outermost layers of the airway haven't been stripped away enough for it to oh, be okay. smoke inhalation. Asthma can cause like a lot of yeah. things can cause that, but this would be in relation to like there being like smoke inhalation would have caused that. So oh. that's what that's what Tommy's saying. He's like they're not like naked stripped away enough for it to have been smoke inhalation so yeah just a little Um, medical knowledge yeah so um dad says to open him up and points out the subdural hematoma everybody has a secret dad says but some are better at hiding them than others so 
real quick, he says everybody has a secret, and the way it's, um, I always watch these with subtitles on, so I don't miss, you know, anything, or I just laugh at the really bad subtitles. He, the way that they subtitled it was everybody has a secret, but I think he was saying everybody has a secret, like everybody. Oh. I, I think that is because if you listen to the way he stresses it, he kind of says everybody Body has, has a, a secret. secret. Yeah, like everybody that they work on. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, I. Thank you, because I wrote it. Everybody, not everybody. Well, that's how, like I said, that's how they captioned it. But I, when I listened, I'm like, I think it's every body, like dead body. I'm gonna, yeah, I, yeah, I'll concede to that. That makes sense. Austin suggests some people are just better at finding them, but Dad leans in supportively and says that Austin did good and that he'll get there. So he is a supportive dad. Yeah. It's just, and there's like these little gentle like dad poke poke oh, well, at him I moments. Think, I think you know I kind of gained from it because Austin seems like he's in his. 20s maybe early 20s kind of hard to tell but he's you know he's grown yeah um grown but young but young um you kind of get the sense that like he's dad's trying to kind of groom him to maybe take over the family business someday and so he's trying to teach him tell him look before you leave right don't don't be afraid you have to look further you know don't make your decision or your call too early yeah because at this point we're talking about a century in the business like this is 1919 yeah as when their business first got established Mm -hmm. so they've at least been coroners since then Mm -hmm. um or running a more a more uh morgan crematorium since then um so yeah i think it's probably a legacy situation here Mm -hmm. Austin then mentions that the man must have been alone, and that's why he died. No one was there for him when the fire started. But Dad quickly cuts him off, saying that he died because he fell and hit his head. Austin definitely seems to be the feeler at first glance, Mm -hmm. but I have heavy air coming off of Dad. That sharp way he snaps his response is indicative of something deeper, and I respect the hell out of the way Brian Cox plays this moment. Mm -hmm. His subtlety as an actor sells a lot in this movie at first watch i threw this away as tommy tilden being the more logical seasoned coroner removing emotional response um is profession not personal but i think brian cox sells us a little something extra here and i'll dive into that a little bit deeper later on Mm -hmm. so next we hear a bell ding inside the morgue austin glances down at his cell phone dad asks if austin has plans seemingly disinterested perhaps disappointed dad is a little bit hard to read yeah Austin and his girlfriend are going to see a movie. Dad says he thought that they closed that place down, and Austin chuckles and teases his father. When was the last time you saw a movie, Dad? Dad can remember only the notebook. Austin's mother made Dad go see it. He says, with melancholy tinged with annoyance. He says, it was for her birthday, and I fell asleep five minutes in. (laughs) It's clear to us Dad doesn't get out much, and that Mom is probably no more around. Dad asks Austin if he's okay finishing up, and then he exits the morgue. Right here, Brian Cox's character reminds me, you mentioned earlier about him reminding us, reminding you of our dad. Right here, our dad was the hardest working guy, the hardest to read guy, Mm -hmm. um, extremely, you know, wonderful provider for his family, whatever. And funny. He's a funny dude. But like, like. Like stoic, stoic, but like and quietly funny. Mm-hmm. So, but the look that he gets on his face when he's like, "Yeah, last time I saw a movie was a Notebook," and he kind of like raises his eyebrows yes. and like a, I was like, "Oh my god, yeah. that's hard." <laughs> Hardcore father vibes in this one, big time, big time. Blah, miss you, blah, dad. Blah, blah, blah. Miss you, dad. Yeah, do miss you, pops. 
Dad smokes a cigarette outside while Austin finishes cleaning. So he is our father. He <laughs> yes, hears a thudding. Now our dad was a smoker. He hears a thudding coming from somewhere inside the walls. This probably already would be a note for me if I was alone. But a fucking cat named Stanley drops down from an air vent and plops a rat that he found on the floor. It's official. Now, cats are just there to fuck with the protagonist. Like, in every scary, maybe there's evil movie. It's so tropey. Like, to have a jump scare and you're like, it's just a cat. Like, I'll spare, yeah, like, I'll spare you the dissertation here. But this is it is my observation that cats fucking suck in every horror movie. <laughs> and I think that's why I thought I hated cats. I don't know, though. I don't, I mean, cats are awesome. And Stanley's awesome. He brings Austin a gift. He, like, brought him a little mouse. He's, He's like, like, look, I found this. I took care of it. You're fucking welcome. Now I'm going to go. It's a gift for the family. (laughs) Austin calls out to his father that Stanley found another one, and he quickly disposes of it in a biohazard waste bin and washes his hands. Austin hears a thud for a second time, and he calls out to his father who doesn't respond. Austin cautiously makes his way down the dark corridor of the large weathered building. The lights are a mix of overhead blue light giving a like sickly tinge to everything mm-hmm. and a warm glow from not enough other lamps um, that dot the hall. Mm-hmm. Austin, the lighting in this movie is expertly done. Yeah, expertly it's, done. It, like you said, it's like there's like a sickliness to the stuff outside of the like morgue. actual morgue, but then yeah. inside it's very clinical. And yeah. when the two kind of blend together it's green it, it doesn't feel right no it's like it, when you go outside before a storm and the sky yeah. is green and you're like it's just it doesn't makes look you right feel, it makes your stomach hurt yeah it's very unsettling <laughs> yeah austin notices a light on in one of the rooms and he turns it off and is swiftly greeted by his girlfriend who jump startles me i mean him <laughs> i wasn't startled because fuck you you jumped that's why i had fucking headphones on at the moment and she goes ah! and i'm <laughs> Threw the laptop laptop off my lap. It was awful. Austin screams in an adorable, screamy way, and his girlfriend Emma, played by Ophelia Lovey Bond, jabs at him that it's so easy. Austin asks how she got down there, and she clarifies that the key was left in the elevator. Emma says that it's not what she was expecting, indicating the large sprawling house, a mix of very old and new. Austin provides that after generations of a family-owned business, the large state-of-the-art building is what they have. Austin tells her he thought they agreed to meet out front, but Emma seems determined to see where Austin works. Austin tries to keep Emma from going into the morgue, but she seems bubbly and unshaken uh, by the prospect of being confronted with the dead. I completely get her curiosity here. Like, I'm like, so I actually... Respectful, but excited. I dated a guy who was a lot like Austin. He worked in his family's um, funeral home. And I never did get a chance to go check it out. He invited me to go a couple times and we just never made it work out. Shout out, Evan, if you're listening. Hope you're yeah. doing well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I get it. I'm like, no, man, I would want to go see everything and yeah. be like creeped out and excited at the same time. Like, it's just, of course, I'd want to go check it out. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, yeah. <laughs> so I respect the hell out of whatever it does. Austin complains that he's been down there all day. Emma looks all through the morgue, walking slowly and carefully. She absently offers that Austin got to see where she works, but Austin retorts that she works in a bookstore. It's not the same. Quite not the same. Not thing, the yeah. same. 
Emma faces the drawers holding the most recent autopsy and asks if these are the if these are all the dead people. <laughs> Austin clarifies that it's just three tonight. Emma asks if she can see a body. Austin says you absolutely no way can see a dead body. <laughs> he said there's just some things you can't unsee. And that's too strict. Dad chimes in suddenly with try me to Austin's shock, who asks if dad who asked Dad if he's serious? Yeah, Dad like has crept up behind them. They yeah, this whole conversation drinking co- drinking a cup of coffee. It's kind of adorable. Yeah, he's like, my dad's too strict. And he's like, no, I'm not. Go ahead. And he's yeah. like, oh shit, that's my dad. <laughs> um, Tommy turns to Emma and asks, "Are you serious?" To which she replies, "Hell yeah." Okay, I'd be more chill and respectful about it, but my inside brain would out. Ab- probably also be, hell be yeah. like hell yeah yeah i mean yes sir yeah but also can i set up an easel like real quick for two hours please because i want to be leonardo da vinci and I that's must how i paint you i must paint you <laughs> i just have to uh do some of the dead body painting just a little bit are you team hell yeah for I'm, sure yeah. i think i would um so fun fact about me i didn't see a dead body until I was a grown person. Same. I went to like my ex-boyfriend's grandmother's funeral like a million but I oh, up yeah. until that point I had kind of made a point not to at a funeral pass the body because it creeps yeah. me out. Yeah, yeah. Um I kind of got shoved into like a line mm. of, you know, you know, mourners and had to pass the casket and went looked at her and I was like yep, she's dead and I like walked past but seeing one that hasn't yet been preserved yeah. Or, um, you know, anything like that. Um, and it would also kind of depend on how the person died. Died. Um, I did, when dad passed, I yeah. did see him. Yeah. Um, and he, he, there's a whole long story behind that, but he was not preserved. Preserved, right. It was before he was cremated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, yeah, I mean, I would, like I said, I think it would depend on the, on the cause of death, like, outwardly. I think so, too. Here, Like, I think... Like, if it was, like, a mangling of some kind, right. I'm like, I no, think I maybe putting myself to. I think maybe putting myself into a place before we had been witness to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I might have, yeah, I think it probably would have been Team Hell, yeah. I don't think the violence part, I don't think the amount of violence would have mattered to me because I was always I've always been a little bit of a freak but that's just me <laughs> that's not everybody and some people I'm just she's a, honest with it I'm curious it's here's curious to me though. and it's all just me I mean it's just I know but here's the weird thing yeah so you and I grew up in the but not dogs not animals no, 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 I can't no, 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 I can't no, see that I, you and I grew up during the wild west of the internet that's true aka rotten.com We've seen many mangled pictures of many mangled bodies in diff, you know states of decomp and whatever, but but it feels different somehow if that body was already at a morgue, yeah, about to be prepared. I feel like that's disrespectful. Now, yeah, no, granted, looking back at the shit we saw growing up, I have trauma a little bit from it <laughs> it was like you Austin's can't, right there you can't some unsee. things you can't unsee it's true. So Emma points to a drawer and Austin pulls one open, revealing an old woman with her eyes and lips sewn shut. Emma looks over the body briefly and indicates to another drawer, saying that she chooses that one. 
Austin reluctantly pulls the drawer open to reveal a corpse covered with a white sheet. But where the head is indicated is a large concave dent soaked mm. through with blood. Yeah, it's like pushed into some kind of cavity where the face should be. It's a giant bowling ball sized hole. <laughs> yeah, it is. Where there should be a face. Yeah, it's. Yeah. It, that's not how faces should be shaped. That's not how shit. Yeah. As the drawer thuds open, the camera shifts to the exposed feet of the victim and the bell tied around the ankle with a bit of cord rings. Tommy and Austin exchange a look as Dad stifles the chuckle and sips his coffee. Emma asks what the bell is for and Tommy reveals it's to make sure he's dead. He says there was a time when it was hard to tell. Coroners would tie a bell to everyone in the morgue to make sure they weren't just a comatose patient. Just as an aside, this is where the term "dead ringer" comes from. Yes, which, not they would all they would tie to the corpse. Sometimes they would also put one that like led down into the grave, grave. like with a, a yes. cord, so they could ring it outside of the grave in case they were. That's and then, crazy shit, we man! Got a dead ringer, and it is my favorite death-related factoid. It's really fascinating, isn't it? Emma asks why Tommy has one, and he chuckles and says that it's more out of a long tradition than practicality. When Emma asks why Dad covered the victim's face, he explains that there wasn't much of a face. Point blank shotgun blasts uh, tend to do that. Yeah, I'm going to dub the Blood Maw. So we have <laughs> So's Your Face as the lady. Uh, so is your face. So's Your Face, oh, Blood fired. Maw, and Burning Man. Two on the nose? I don't care. <laughs> you are still fired, but go ahead. Emma wants to know who shot him. Tommy explains that based on the point of entry, it suggests he did it to himself, but they also found strychnine in his system, indicating that he was long dead before someone blew his face off. His He doesn't mince words. No, no. The color drains from Emma's face a little, and it's definitely no more a fun little scare. No. She asks Austin's dad why. Tommy says that they leave the why to the cops and the shrinks, and they are just there to find the cause of death, no more, no less. Emma goes to to lift the sheet and Austin quickly grabs her hand and tells her she does not want to do that. Dad says it's okay, shooting Austin a knowing and mischievous look. Just as Emma goes to lift the sheet and see Blood Maw in all of his glory, Dad rings the bell on the victim's ankle, (laughs) scaring the ever-loving fuck out of her. Good lord, this man is our father. Rest in peeps, Pops, because you would have fucked with us mercilessly as a coroner. Just to give you an idea of the kind of shit my dad would do, I remember when I was like in fifth grade, sixth grade, I think something like that, I was watching Arachnophobia with my friend Melody, who had come over to watch it, And he walked up behind us during one of the creepy crawly parts of the movie and started doing like spider fingers on the back of my neck. Mm -hmm. And I think he did it to her too. And just, but the thing is, dad never really laughed out loud. He just kind of snickered and walked off. So ringing a dead ankle bell on a corpse is something he absolutely would have done. And he just would have snickered and walked off just like Tommy did in this scene. It was so perfect. Yeah. As Austin and Emma leave, he jabs, look who, look who's easy now. You should have seen the look on your face. Emma says, yeah, we'll see who's easy when Austin finds out he's not getting laid. Austin promises to ply her with popcorn and Sour Patch Kids and puts on his best boyish charm. Emma softens a bit and tells Austin he's lucky he's cute. Just then, Sheriff Burke wheels a corpse into the morgue. Austin notices Burke looks distraught and asks what happened. Tommy calls the sheriff Sheldon and tells him to wheel her back here, indicated he was inspecting the intake. 
Austin offers to stay, but Dad calls out not to worry about it and tells Austin and Emma to go have their fun. Emma and Austin ride the elevator down, but Austin can't shake the feeling that they sh- that he shouldn't leave his dad alone. Emma says, here we go. Um, and we get the impression that this has happened before. Mm-hmm. Austin says he doesn't want to ditch his dad, and Emma points out then he's ditching her. She asks what Austin plans to do when he and her leave, but Austin has no response to that. Emma deduces that Austin hasn't even told his father that he plans to leave. Austin promises that he's going to tell his dad and tries to smooth things by convincing Emma that he doesn't always want to be the morgue worker, but his dad just needs his help right now. Emma holds Austin's hand supportively and argues that it's been two years. Tommy can take care of himself. Come back in a couple of hours, Austin says, and he promises to go with her to the midnight showing. He again turns on the boyish charm, telling her that a smile is yes. She smirks in spite of herself and says maybe and walks off, driving away from the property to the backdrop of dusk settling over the house. Their relationship is really cute, but yeah. like you get the impression here that she's probably been backburnered for like his work most of the time. Well, and I mean, it seems like a really demanding job. It is. It is. To be fair, um, you know, like I said, when I you know dated the guy that was a morgue worker, um, he, they're on call. If you need to go pick up a body at 4.30 in the morning, you have to go. It, it doesn't matter and, if you're yeah. in the middle of a date. It doesn't like... The job calls when the job calls. Death does not wait for anyone. Yeah. And just because you're at a movie, you know, whatever. Right. So I get that completely. I've seen that firsthand. And that's just, I think, part of the job. Yeah. In the next scene, we see a close-up of the body bag unzipped, revealing Jane Doe, played by Olwyn Kelly. Sheriff Burke says he found her in the basement of the Douglas's place. No ID, no fingerprints in the system. And no one has a clue who she is. As Tommy asks Burke if he has any clue how Jane wound up there, Stanley growls at Jane Doe, not taking his eyes from her, and Tommy says that he swears that he's gotten meaner by the day. I would listen to that cat right now. I know. Stanley (laughs) growls and walks away. Cats know these things. I'm like, dude, any cat that hisses or gets pissed off at an inanimate object or a body, I'm like, so that's possessed. We're leaving. Like, just right off the get. Yeah, I see too many horror movies. Yeah, that's what I said. No one ever heeds the warning of the cat or the dog who's mad at the thing. The dog's barking outside because some eerie shit's happening. Just time to move. Animals know shit, man. Yeah. Burke continues that Alvarez, I'm assuming the only other non-elderly person at the crime scene, um, was there working on Paul and Carol's place. He explains as Tommy looks over the album of crime scene photos. He says his best bet is that Alvarez killed their Jane Doe and needed a place to dump the body. He thinks Alvarez was interrupted cleaning up the crime scene by the Douglases and didn't count on them being home or Paul having a 38. Burke says he'll bring him by tomorrow, but for now, Jane is the priority. Austin chimes in, leaning against the doorframe, that it still would have been nice to look at the crime scene. Sheriff barks that he's got four dead, four people dead and no clue how any of it connects. And the press will be there in the morning, and he needs to have something he can sell them. And what he can't sell right now is Jane. Tommy says no one's pissing in his grits, but they have protocol. And he calls the sheriff Shell. 
not in a condescending way, but in a fatherly way. Just in like a I know you very well kind of way. Yeah, just in a body language alone and not the whole backstory, not a whole lot of backstory to go on. We know that the Teldens have been in this town and the sheriff, who at most is in his 50s, probably looks up to Tommy. Yeah. Dad asks the time frame and Burke says it has to be tonight. Dad agrees and the sheriff exits quietly. Dad says that Austin didn't need to come back. I know, says Austin. And father and son smile at each other. They do have this sort of like knowing smirk relation. It's yeah. cute. Rock music introduces the next scene. A small montage of medical supply and prep for the autopsy. Dad and Austin set up the video camera and he gives a briefing to the camera for the record. This is the autopsy of an unknown female, henceforth known as Jane Doe. Dad says he'll be performing the autopsy himself and labels his son Austin Tilden as his assistant certified medical technician. Dad lays out the four stages of the autopsy. External, internal, heart and lungs, digestive organs, and finally the brain. Dude, that's three stages. Whatever. <laughs> Over the radio, we hear a male DJ. Happily- fourth is alchemy. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Over the radio, we hear a male DJ happily providing a three-day forecast. Looks like it's going to be sunny for the next few days. Huh. Austin. Book, book, bookmark that. <laughs> yeah. Because I have questions. I have questions and also responses. Austin takes pictures and states the subject is in her 20s. Dad corrects. Appears to be. Subject appears to be in her 20s, Dad Austin says. He runs through the basic external examination. What he can see on the surface. Jane Doe is Caucasian. Skin appears normal. No bruising or scarring or external markings. Hair brown. And as Austin lifts up one of Jane's eyelids, he says, eyes gray? Tommy comes over and lifts Jane's eyelids to reveal milky, clouded eyes. Her eyes are so clouded, in fact, it's nearly impossible to determine the original eye color. Tommy thinks it's interesting because often this type of eye clouding only comes after someone has been dead for days. They both quickly examine the rigidity of Jane's limbs, but she seems perfectly pliable. No lividity, Dad says. No rigor mortis, Austin responds. And when does Dad think she died? Tommy says that Jane is colder and there could be confounding factors that made this seemingly inexplicable thing explicable. And this will become routine for the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. Austin makes an observation. No explanation for said thing. Dad will break his spine trying to bend over backwards for logic. <laughs> so I want to hear talk about the uh, about Jane Doe. Jane Doe, like you said, she was played by Olwyn Kelly. Um... She, first of all, a lot of movies when they're using a dead body will use a dummy or a model. Yeah, like yeah. a model is in like a, you know, built model, not a live person. Yeah. Um, but Jane Doe was a live person. And the director said that he wanted to use a live body because... You know, obviously some prosthetics were used in scenes. I mean, it's a full autopsy, so like obviously right. you're not going to cut a woman open. Um, that's She's I think dead that's now. called a snuff film. She's dead now. Um, but there was a lot that he just didn't think would feel right or as impactful with a, you know, a dummy. So Olwen Kelly was or is she's alive. Jane Doe's dead. She's like, I always want to off the people I'm talking about. And when I say was, um, she's a yoga practitioner. Oh. And so when they first, when the director first met Olwen Kelly, they, 
she was the first one they met with and they immediately knew that she was perfect. Um, she trained in yoga and trained to be able to control her breathing, breathing enough so that in all of the scenes she could appear to be not breathing. And I watched very closely on oh, this next rewatch and indication. I never, I mean, and think about it. They're manhandling her. They're picking up their her limbs. They're checking in her mouth. They're looking in her eyes. She does no, no not. No eye flutters. No nothing. 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 She does absolutely fantastic. Mm -hmm. She said she was very nervous about being nude on set for days and days because she is literally laying on a metal table for days, completely naked. Um, But the crew actually said that she made them feel comfortable because I think they were just as kind of maybe skittish about that as she was. Um, But she said, you know, she said, I've modeled. She's like, one of the things one of my earliest shoots was like literally just me with a pair of shoes on. Yeah. She's like, it's just a modeling job to me. So it didn't, you know, affect me or like cause me any undue stress to be nude and on a set in front of, you know, so many people, whatever. Um, Brian Cox just said this movie would not have worked without her. Yeah. So, um, big, 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 big shout out to Owen Kelly as Django because it, it, Having a real person there playing the the body definitely adds a gravity, a sense of realism, yeah. a creepiness factor. Yeah. I mean, it's it's I chef's kiss. It was so great. <laughs> yeah. It was just so great. Um, Austin notices that Jean's wa- waist is super small, and Tommy says it's probably a birth defect. And to mark it on the board. Dude, she's right there. Also, don't say that to people. Wow, you have a really small waist. Up. She's dead. And then, uh, think. Do you have a birth defect? <laughs> it's just business. Just business. Sorry. It's just business. Dad notices fractures on Jane's wrists and ankles. And we get some awesome squelchy cracking noises as he just plays with her Play-Doh hands and feet. Like he just moves them all around. Austin notices that the joints are shattered, too. They find Pete under Jane's fingernails and toenails and trace amounts of it in her hair. Austin suggests that she may have been buried in it and then asks Dad where they w- would even find Pete. Dad says, and most nurseries are up north, not where they not where they are. Apparently, this is inaccurate. You can find Pete anywhere and everywhere. And definitely now... There's actually even a story on the news during the pandemic that there was actually too much peat being produced with the houseplant craze. This is nuts, and I don't know how I much. I didn't hear anything. I don't know about how much. Tr- I don't know how much truth there is to this statement, but it's available. Like peat is available. It's well, not no, I rare. I think they meant like naturally occurring in the earth, peat, like yeah. peat. Yeah. But apparently, um, and this is just according to the. This is just according to IMDb trivia. Uh-huh. Apparently, peat is not. Is not rare to find in Virginia. Like you can find it naturally in Virginia as well. Yeah, Just there's a there's a there's a few other little things like that where I'm like, well, actually, I mean, yeah, like, I just wanted so, to, I just wanted to, you know, po- no, it's pull a, my glasses up a little bit, like actually, it's not that hard <laughs> to find Pete in Virginia. Anyway, Dad checks Jane's nose and ears. No Pete up there. Everything appears clear. Austin opens Jane's mouth and notices that the tongue has been severed. Dad raises his eyebrows in slight surprise, and he says he hadn't expected that. There appears to be no blood from the wound, old or otherwise. Dad says that the tongue has been severed crudely, not medically. Austin suggests that maybe she could have bitten it off, like tensing during an OD or something. But Dad says it has, it no, it's cut flesh, like it was cut out. Ugh. 
It's a CGI effect. I don't yeah, hate it's not, it, but it's a little meh. I'm like, mm, that's obviously, they like green screen your tongue out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dad has seen this before, he says, sex trafficking. I mean, Dad hasn't seen it before while he was sex trafficking. Dad has seen this before, like in sex trafficking case. cases. Dad says that he saw something like this 15 years ago around Norfolk. It was two girls, hands and feet bound tight. He said they would also cut out their tongues to keep them quiet. Austin asks if he thinks this is the same. This is some sort of prostitution thing, but Dad just responds they can't rule it out. A small trickle of blood exits Jane's nose, and a fly crawls out and flies at Austin, which he swats at. It flies directly into a fly zapper light mounted on the ceiling. That's just goodbye. I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) Dad next examines the mouth and notices that Jane has a molar missing on the lower right side and tells Austin to take some impressions. Using a dental tool and a pen light, And examining Jane's mouth a little bit further, Dad notices and then extracts a fairly long bit of string from Jane's mouth. Mm -hmm. Dude, what the fuck? Mm. Did you have, okay, did you have any theories at this point when you first watched this? I remember being pretty lost right about now. No, none whatsoever. I think I feared where it might be going, but like, no, no clue. No, 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 no. no. I don't think I had any theories at this point. I mean, his his like sex trafficking theory was I'm like I was well, like that sure that tracks pretty yeah. good. Yeah. I, I got nothing, but it being the movie that it is and us seeing how much movie is left, I'm like that's probably not that's it. Probably but it's a good start. Him. Yeah. So that's the red herring. But yeah. What what is it really? Looking under the microscope, Austin identifies the string as definitely fabric, and Dad tells him to as bag it. As opposed to what? Well, Dad says to bag it, and they'll send it to the lab. So I think they even have to just like determine that it's even fabric. Um, a storm appears to begin outside. Dad mentions casually that there is no external seminal fluid and tells Austin to get him a swab. Every movement is methodical. Austin looks away uneasily as Dad examines Jane's genitalia and hands a bloodied swab back to Austin. He mentions Jane is torn up inside. There are ridges and grooves in the tissue. It's uneasy, but honestly, again, Brian Cox is so believable as a medical examiner. I'm not remotely uncomfortable. I no. kind of feel like I'm a fly on the wall of a real autopsy. Yeah, and I can see why Austin would be uncomfortable. You don't really want to watch your dad, dad do, do that. This thing. But at the yeah. same time, it is extremely clinical. It and is respectful. Yeah. Very much so. It does, The unfortunate conclusion, though, does seem to be that our Jane was mutilated. And we ponder, as we ponder this horrible fate that befell this girl, the camera pushes in close on Jane's open, clouded eyes and slightly open, parted mouth, kind of staring straight at the viewer. Mm-hmm. I, I do want to bookmark the internal injuries that they mention here. Mm-hmm. What we come to find out, it didn't, this initially did not fit, uh-huh. but thinking about it more today i think it might fit and so i, I do want to talk okay, about that yeah later. i'm looking forward to that because i i never got any sort of i have like clarity. i said it's just a theory but yeah. it's something i did um, a little bit of a deep dive on i'm so, open to theories yeah thunder claps again and austin lists through the findings so far settling on the theory tracks implying the sex trafficking theory But Dad turns his back and places some tools down on one of the lab surfaces and says wearily that they aren't even out of the external examination yet and walks out, I'm assuming for a cigarette. (laughs) 
The next scene begins with Dad stating to the camera that he will now begin the internal examination and beginning with the heart and lungs and instructs Austin to help him with the block. Man, this movie gives me seriously big appreciation for this process. I mean, I will always, I always had a pretty healthy obsession with forensics, but the sheer work that goes into an mm-hmm. autopsy. Thank you, medical examiners. Medical like, examiners, funeral home workers, there is not nearly enough credit given to you. I, the things that you must have gone through during the pandemic. Mm-hmm especially with families being unable to visit their loved ones in hospitals Mm -hmm. and having that, you know, process. There's, it is a profession that goes absolutely underappreciated. For sure. If you are in end of life, if you are in end of life care in any way, be, yeah, like you said, be it medical examination, morgue workers, anything like that. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Huge shout out. Huge. Dad just about places the scalpel to Jane's chest to begin the incision when the overhead light crackles and the radio goes full Reagan. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. There are staticky pops and whatnot, along with a low male voice and the panic screams of a young girl. Mind you, all of this happens in the span of a few seconds before the song Open You Up Your Heart and Let the Sun Shine In plays on the radio. Oh, it's such a good creepy use of this child song i know dad makes the most dad face of all dad faces (laughs) and austin turns the radio to something a bit more rock and roll it's like a combination of disdain and had it with like a sousant of what the fuck am i listening to he does brian cox's face does some great acting just on his face just on his face yeah our dad would have probably called it old fart music most likely (laughs) yep Dad cuts a T-shaped incision into Jane, and blood begins to pour and pull from the body. Austin insists bodies aren't supposed to do that, right, Dad? Dad says he's seen it. He has seen it, but only with a very fresh corpse, and it's caused from a buildup of pressure. Yeah, when the heart's not beating anymore, it's not pushing the blood. So to have it just like. Like, the blood gushes out of the body. Yeah. like Almost like the heart is still pumping. Yeah, almost like she's not dead. dead yeah. yeah. Austin collects a small vial of blood from the drips and places it into the morgue fridge. Dad then grabs a piece of black tissue sample from under Jane's skin. Austin wonders if it's melanoma, but Dad says they'll see what the lab comes back with and challenges the melanoma theory given it's under Jane's skin and nowhere visible on the outside of the body. As Austin walks back to the fridge to place the tissue sample, he stops, not hearing Dad, as he asks for the rib cutters off screen. The door of the fridge is definitely open now, and blood is pooling on the floor just outside. (laughs) Today, Dad says, a little salty. Instead, Austin fully opens the fridge and notices that the vial that had been holding Jane's blood only moments ago is now butt-sploded all over the rest of the fridge. Austin says shit, and Dad says, what did you do? (laughs) (laughs) Typical Dad. Austin grunts that he's got it and immediately begins to clean up the mess. Dad insists that he needs Austin to focus. Austin says, I've got it. I'm trying to focus, but a vial of blood exploded like it was in the- All over everything. All over everything. Like we're looking in the fridge and the fucking thing. Also, the fridge door is open, and I definitely didn't leave it open. Weird shit is afoot. Yeah. As he cleans, Dad shifts his focus back to Jane and tells Austin he was right that Jane's waist doesn't fit her frame, but it's not congenital. 
Austin wants to know what it is then, and Dad suggests that if you wore one long enough, a corset. Austin says, didn't those go out of style a couple hundred years ago? And this child has obviously never met a goth person before. I was just about to say, she's very, very pale with dark hair and potentially a corset wearer. I mean... I know. It, what is Austin like to say? I didn't know it's going to sell hundreds of gears. You bite your tongue, you what, turn up. What does Austin like to say? It tracks with the theory? Yeah. I'm saying she's goth. Yeah. Dad finally and grumpily grabs the rib cracker himself, and I'm like the opposite of squigged out. I really love the sounds of bones cracking in movies like this. It's... I love the sound of squelchy. It's a cool sound. I I love the squelchy bone cracking moments in these movies. Not like in real life it would freak me out, but like In a movie, it's just like, yeah, get that bone. Tickle something. (laughs) Dad pulls away the breastplate, revealing the lungs, which he notes are severely blackened. Austin asks if smoking could be a cause. Dad says, Dad actually, he doesn't actually say that. He says he didn't take her for a smoker. Dad insists that she could smoke 10 packs a day for 30 years and it wouldn't explain the level of damage. He plunks the lung tissue sample into a test tube. Austin perks up and says that he that they found the cause of death though, right? And Dad said he'd expect the body to be covered in third degree burns. He said it's like finding a bullet in a brain with no gunshot wound. Further into the examination, the heart has also been severely marked, like it's been cut. Austin says that's not all and points out the other organs sporting the same scar tissue. Mm-hmm. Dude, what the absolute fuck has happened to this it poor chick? It looks like someone took a scalpel just to the organs. Because her outer body, like we said, is pristine. I know. There's not a blemish on her, but then like all of her organs are just completely fucked. It's crazy. Yeah. Dad starts to hypothesize with Austin, what if he saw all the trauma they are finding internally on the outside, what would Jane Doe look like? Austin said she'd be mangled, disfigured beyond recognition. A bell rings inside the morgue and Austin offers to get it. So I guess like the front doorbell, I couldn't really tell. He walks down the hall, ready to greet whoever was there, most likely expecting Emma, but no one is there. He continues down the hall more cautiously and checks doors before he notices a figure reflected in one of the security mirrors hanging on the wall. It's creepy. It's so creepy. creepy. Dad leans in to examine Jane alone and asks her, what happened to you? I get the impression that he's seen so many things that he must rarely get knocked off kilter by a seemingly simple cause of death. He notices markings on the underside of Jane's skin and retrieves a scalpel to inspect her further. As he leans in, his arm is violently sliced on Jane's sharp, jagged ribs. It's... Okay, this is definitely my nope. I got cut cut on by a dead body. I'm probably going to be a zombie now. I have to go probably go home. Probably, (laughs) definitely. And I'll let you know if I'm still a zombie tomorrow. Like... If I get cut by a dead body, by its by its broken bone, disease. <laughs> no, she is no noped out. No, 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 no. Because whatever killed you will probably kill me. You died of an aneurysm. I'll probably catch that somehow. I don't. No, no. I don't want to play anymore. I'm going home. Austin clicks a light on and investigates a vent inside a room at the end of the hallway. It looks like a storage space. I couldn't really tell what kind of room it was. He looks away and he hears skittering inside the air vent and then jumps and falls off the chair he had been standing on 
as something casts a shadow across our field of vision. It's like, I, you can't tell what it is, but it looks kind of big for that little it's, bitty area. Yeah. We already know that Stanley likes to roam around in the vents, though. So yeah. the fact that he was jump scared by something he already knows can happen. Could have possibly. Yeah, I, don't I don't know. know. Well, no, because it was like a big black shadow. It took away like all of the light. Yeah, but Stanley was kind of a large cat and that opening... I'm just saying, I get why he jumped. I probably would have jumped too. It did not look like a cat. It looked no, like it, a... No, to me, you couldn't tell enough, enough at all what it was. It doesn't matter because we're going to find out in a minute what, um, it, what it wasn't. <laughs> something is in there. Austin looks up to see another figure standing ominously in the doorway, but it's just Dad clicking on the light and he asks Austin what the hell happened. Austin, frustrated with his startled fall, huffs that something is in the vent. Dad helps him up, and they look inside the vent together. It's Stanley, who is bloody and whimpering. Austin hands the suffering animal to Dad, who snaps his neck. Mm-mm. So you... Well, you... fuck this entirely altogether now. <laughs> something <laughs> killed the cat, who was just a nice little mouse hunting guardian, and I'm out. It sucks. I thought you were... Okay, so you were out at the cutting yourself on the bone. I was out out. when the fly flew out of Jane's nose. I've been out. (laughs) I've been out before I've been in, baby. I've been out from the beginning. But But now that the cat also is dead, I'm very out. But, and like, having to snap the neck of your own pet, like, I I fucking... I quit. I don't care. Podcast over. I don't want to talk about it anymore. (laughs) Let's go watch cartoons. I'm sad, and I don't want to do this anymore. Dad then incinerates the poor Stanley for good measure and, tired and worn, asks Austin to give him a minute. Austin looks in the direction of the morgue drawers to notice one of the doors is in the process of creaking open. Well, that's not good because we know Dad is incinerating Dad Stanley, so who the fuck did that? Mm-hmm. I'm asking, who did it? I don't who? know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. You should know these things. <laughs> As Austin walks to the drawer, Dad pops up to ask Austin what he's doing. And this is the second time we see Dad startle the shit out of his poor kid. Because he does it earlier when he's like the shadowy figure in the doorway. Dad, take a clue. (laughs) Things are creepy. You're not helping. Yeah. At all. Dad says Stanley was a pain in the ass, but he was Austin's mother's. One of the few things that he had left of her. Austin offers that he misses her too. But Dad just says right coldly... He goes, right, and coldly says for them to keep going. Dad announces stage three of the autopsy of Jane Doe, beginning with the stomach and gastric system. Austin says to Pops, Dad, you can talk to me. Ugh, I, I couldn't Dad responds that he's not keeping any, he goes, I'm not keeping anything from you, Austin. But Austin insists that Dad puts on this act for people, but Dad insists he's fine. Woof. Oh, woof. I literally wrote woof. I literally wrote Wolf. <laughs> He's so emotionally shut down, which I think being in this line of work, you have to be. Mm-hmm. But it's obvious that that's not the only thing that he's shutting away. Mm-hmm. You know, we find out here what we are, you know, we could conf- confirmation of what we already suspected that Austin's mom has died. Yeah. And or, you know, I get or left. I mean, I get but died. definitely died. Yeah. Um, and you're like, talk about it and you can tell Austin is like dad just talk about it and dad's like nope I'm fine B- yeah. back to business and just won't 
let it out. Yeah, and there's Ugh. like there's also just this hint, and I think this is what hurt me more than anything, is the way Dad delivers. I'm fine, and the way Dad delivers. I'm not keeping anything from you. It's very. He says it in such a way. It's not gaslighting, but it's almost like, what are you talking about? I'm fine. Like, what are you talking about? I'm not keeping anything from you. Like, like you're overreacting. Well, right. Or you're the, and you're like, oh, that's infuriating because I know you're keeping shit. Dad, well, I, I read it as more dad doesn't even believe what he's saying. Like, I don't dad think doesn't he does. believe he's fine oh, either, no. but I it, know, yeah. He's become so accustomed to driving forward and telling people, I'm fine. I'm not hiding anything. I'm good. Yeah. That it comes across like he believes it, but I don't think he really yeah. does. Old, old, I think old Tommy here definitely went to the school of hardworking stoics. Oh, like, yeah. Big time. Austin doesn't really appear to believe him as dad pulls a long organic something from Jane's stomach. Austin asks his father if it's a flower, but dad scoops it up and walks swiftly across the room to find a botanical identification book. Jimson weed, dad announces, and as he flips the page, paralyzing agent explains the inflammation on her organs. I looked up Jimson weed. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd heard the name before, but I didn't really know what um, it's in the same family as like Belladonna nightshade. It does have a ton of side effects. Hallucinations is kind of the big one. Paralysis is not one of the symptoms of uh, Jimson weed ingestion. Um, One of the cool things, like just kind of a little nod is it's rumored to have been used as an ingredient in what they called witches flying potion. Yes. And so oh my God. it was considered unlucky to grow it in gardens during the colonial era because of its use in witches incantation. Like it was it was so associated with like witch witchcraft. So yeah. Yes. Austin reads the words moonflower. The storm continues to roll outside, and the radio kicks in, stating the storm is much larger than anticipated. Austin looks to his dad and suggests that they just finish up in the morning. Dad says that Burke needed the COD tonight, and they aren't even close, and sternly concludes when they start something, they finish it. He says, you want to leave? Leave. I get the impression here that Dad could know Austin's plans to leave with Emma. It seems almost like Dad is implying two things here. I think so, too. I also thought that this was maybe a little bit of a crack in the surface of his stoicism starting to show where he's mm-hmm. like, you find you get out. I'm freaked out, but I'm going to keep going. I think so. too. Like I he but he yeah. was like, fine, if you want to get out of here because you can't hack it, get out. But I'm going to yeah. I'm going to keep going, even though I'm kind of scared even shitless I, at the moment. Yeah, I've already had like my arm sliced up by a rib cage and lights are blowing well, up. And yeah. Dad continues the examination, pulling a small bundle wrapped in a tiny amount of loosely woven fabric that appears to be inked with sigils of some kind of paganess. Mm-hmm. Dad unwraps it to find a tooth, perhaps the very same one missing from Jane's mouth. Mm-hmm. Austin puts the fabric on a lighted table and examines the material, stating it looks like some kind of shroud. Austin insists that stomach acid should have already dissolved the material, which I looked up to see if that was accurate, but I couldn't really get to it yeah like in the time frame though like dep- well considering they can't they tell can't how long she's time been of dead death. right yeah. like maybe that's true maybe, maybe that's not, not. if yeah. she's fresh possibly it would still be there if she's a hundred thousand billion years old right but if she's a frozen cro magnum man i don't really know what's happening right now <laughs> austin notices that the shroud seems to contain roman numerals 
He walks over to the container holding the tooth and indeed is able to place it back into Jane Doe's mouth. He said someone pulled out her tooth, wrapped it in fabric, and forced her to swallow it. Dad asks about the drawing and Austin says it appears religious, possibly ritualistic. Dad suggests that they play that out. Even ritual has a purpose. He asks what MO have they seen so far? First, they bound her, rip out her tongue, poisoned her, paralyzed her, forced her to swallow the cloth, then the cuts, the internal mutilations, stabs. Then, as if it wasn't enough, they burned her. Austin continues as the storm rages outside. It seems like a human sacrifice, he says. The radio gets louder just as the storm rages outside. The report states that there's now flash flood warnings for the entire county, letting us know that they are fucking trapped in there, yo. Mm -hmm. Dad insists that you can't kill someone this way, not without leaving a trace on the outside. Jane doesn't even have a broken nail. He seems indignant by this because he's like, this doesn't make sense. His whole career is based on making sense out of the clues and the clues do not make sense. Right. Austin says if they can just figure out why she was tortured. But Dad says that down here, if you can't see it, touch it, it doesn't matter. Austin reasons with his father, stating these bodies aren't just COD's dad. Austin insists that this happened to Jane for a reason. And as the radio reports on the strength of the storm, and it talks about the precautions, it settles on the final announcement you're not going anywhere. Oh, and it's so pointed. Like the way the announcer says it is just like you, you, you Austin you Tilden are, are not, not going, going anywhere. anywhere. Yeah. Um, before the radio switches to that song again, my mommy taught me something a little girl should know. It's all about the devil and I've learned to hate him so. The song has been slowed way down and is sung by two or possibly three children a cappella with no backing music. Mm. So you know it's Spooksville. It is so unsettling. This has been done to death, but as one who grew up listening to a band called Frente and All Things 90s, this has a special place in my heart. Does this song hit the same nostalgic nerve for you too? Yes, but not from when this song first came out, obviously, because I think this came out in like the 60s or 70s. No, 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 but Frente's Frente's cover of it. There was this real like trend in the 90s there was one called saturday morning cartoons which is mm-hmm. what this one was off of then there was another one that was like a bunch of 90s school alter- of rock the, the school or, of rock yeah the house schoolhouse rock mm-hmm. then there was also the one where the, everybody did a carpenter song like yeah it was all these like cover albums from like 93 to 97 like all yeah. of these rock bands from like the grunge era and like yeah. the alternative era were doing children's songs yeah, Which like I'm just fabulous. a bill and like three, you know, the, the magic Bl- number yeah, three. Yeah, Blind Melon whatever. doing three is the magic number. <laughs> I can't remember who did the one about bills becoming laws, but like, like, I think the Red Hot Chili Peppers had a song in I there too. I don't even know. But anyway, yes, when I heard this song, I got all excited and nostalgic for the 90s. Yeah. And then realized how creepy this was and then the, the nostalgia went away. That's creepy. Um, Austin nopes the fuck out and calls to dad who is busily skinning Jane with a scalpel that they should maybe get the fuck out of there. Dude, the first flood, um, where was your nope on this one? Have you hit it yet? Are you still, are you still helping dad with the, uh, autopsy at this point in time? Oh. Or are you, or have you noped out by now? I honestly, I think, um, once Stanley died in a violent, gruesome, un- like inexplicable, inexplicable way. Yeah. I think I would have been like, Childhood you bet. know, 
childhood pet is gone. Time to go home. Like this was mom's cat. Mom's not around now. The cat's not around because it got completely mauled in a vent. Like I'm kind of fucking done. I may have noped out before yeah. then, possibly, but this was like the not man. I'm just gonna go have a fucking drink and go to bed. Uh, yeah, I, I will. Dad, sorry to let you tell down, the pops. sheriff. Sorry, but yeah. like I can't with yeah. this. Dad has Austin grab a side of Jane's skin and they pull it completely open after Dad has flayed the skin from the tissue below. Mm-hmm. Underneath the skin is apparently some sort of group of alchemic or hermetic symbols all over Jane's body. But it is from the, the coolest, inside. Ugh. It is the coolest fucking shot. I will hang it on my wall. Thank you. Like if this a dead woman's skin? No, like the <laughs> effect, the practical fucking effect. Creepy. I like horror. (laughs) Austin says, holy shit, the only appropriate response, I believe, when you see a cult symbols tattooed on the underside of someone's skin. Yeah, Yeah. you're not wrong. The song continues, if I wear a smile, he gets tired of hanging around. I mean... Smile so the devil won't get you, little girl. Like, it's, it's pray and smile. It is the worst, like Christian the, indoctrination bullshit. Of little girls, of little kids, of little girls, because it was girls. It was originally yeah, girls singing this. I don't like it. I don't like it anymore I don't either. Like it. The electricity buzzes and the lights flicker as the door to the morgue slowly close, and then the lights suddenly explode over Jane and go out. It goes dark. Austin can be heard smashing into bins and shit and falling on the floor and crunching on glass. It's all black. You can't see anything. You just hear all of the falling. Um, He shouts for his father who says he's over here weakly. He sounds shaken and that steely resolve seems not so steely. That is a mature way of saying I'd have peed by now. So much pee and crying and pee and fear farts and crying and dry heaving and crying and pee by now. As soon as the lights went out. Uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm definitely done now if I hadn't no doubt yet. <laughs> Austin clicks the light on for the camcorder and follows his dad's voice and heads over to him. Dad is standing near the filing cabinets trying to catch his breath. He turns to the first person camera and says, let's get the fuck out of here. So dad's finally noping out too. Yeah, I think, I mean, everybody has their breaking point and this is his. <laughs> this is dad's. Yeah. The generator lights try to come on, but there's not enough power. Dad and Austin try to open a roof latch to the morgue going up that spiral staircase, which I had wondered what was for, but I guess it leaves you upstairs. It's like sort of, that's another way out of the building. Yeah. Other than the elevator. But the old sycamore fell against it, and so they're trapped. Mm -hmm. Austin and Dad head down for the office so they can use the landline. They hear thumping, and so Dad and Austin make a run for it. Tommy tries to get through to the sheriff's department. They can't hear him, though. And just as Dad is shouting that they are trapped down there, the line goes dead. They hear telltale dinging of that tiny toe bell that Mm -mm. Dad tied to his corpse for tradition. Mm -mm. Austin lays on his stomach to look under the door, and a naked foot steps into view under the narrow gap. What the fuck is going on? The sound (laughs) of something as simple as a bell has never been so fucking creepy. Yes. You're like, that is a dead body, and it is making noise on its own. Yeah. That's a dead ringer. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like it. Yeah. So Austin says, what the fuck is going on? It's her. He insists that everything was fine until Burke wheeled her through the door, until we cut into her. Austin bites the words. Dad looks at his son wearily and says he's talking about a corpse. 
still unable or perhaps unwilling to see the same supernatural things that Austin is seeing. He continues that these things we found inside her, those marks, you can't say she's just a corpse. Dad looks down at his wrist where he got bit by Jane's ribcage and realizes that his bandage is already soaked through with blood. Mm -hmm. So he walks to the washroom in the office to clean his wound. We should have left. I wanted to leave, Austin says to no one. Tommy thinks he sees someone behind the shower curtain and he walks over to investigate it. Austin sees him through sees him through the open door and yells out to him, terrified, just as dad rips back the curtain. Nothing. Nothing. Fake like false jump scares. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing there. Yeah. And just as he sighs with relief, dad is yanked back by the collar and the bathroom door is slammed shut. I like fake jump scares. I like delayed jump scares even better. Like, I like false because you're like, uh, oh, we're fine. Oh god, we're not fine. Like I know. It's, it's so good. This was a good one. Here, piggy pig pig. That's my favorite one. Oh yes. Um Austin slams against the other side of the door trying to get at him as we see Burning Man with Jane Doe's eyes beat the fuck out of Pops. Mm -hmm. Not exactly, not exactly. We more see Brian Cox slam his face against bathroom surfaces, but the creative editing sells the violence. Mm -hmm. Finally, Austin makes it into the bathroom to check on Dad, who is groaning, oh shit. I fucking say, dude, you just got bows thrown at you by a ghost. Mm -hmm. Dad lifts his shirt and someone boot stomped the fuck out of his rib cage. He is already like bruised. Yeah, Yeah. he's got to have broken ribs. Ever see the skinny kid that throws the first elbow at Warp Tour? I mean, I haven't either, but (laughs) Warp Tour is relatable, right? (laughs) No, No. sweetheart world. Not since 1997. Anyway, Dad mentions to Austin that the thing in the bathroom had Jane's eyes. And Austin insists that's what he's been trying to tell his father, that Jane is the one that's been doing all of this. Dad insists that's not possible, but Austin says that Jane's body, the markings, the things they found inside of her, that's impossible. Austin says whatever happened in there is way past possible. Dad finally relents his logic and says, okay, then what do they need to do? We next see Austin and Tommy exit the office and then a shot of bloodied sheet lying in the hallway. Austin picks it up and looks down the hall cautiously because whatever is going on, I do believe Blood Mom might be roaming around mm-hmm. the hall somewhere. Yep. Austin and Dad make it back to the morgue and Dad points his pen light towards the containers holding Jane's organs, which now appear to be nothing more than a pile of chunky black goop. Yeah, it's... Oh. Dad says it's rapid decomp. Everything they took out of her. It's as if uh, Jane's body was preserving the organs somehow. They should get her to the crematorium. Just as the door closes and locks, Austin realizes they are trapped. He quickly, Austin quickly takes a fire axe and smashes through as much of the wall as possible, then looks through the gap to check and see if him and dad are safe. But so's your face lady is standing on the other side of the hole and Austin flinches backward. Yeah. And doesn't she like scream and it like stretches the, the yeah, dad, stitches in her mouth? And- yeah. Dad approaches to look through the same gap and so's your face begins to scream, we shriek and like the, the stitches sort of open and the skin. It's mostly just the skin. Yeah. Open. Oh, it's so cool looking. Thinking fast and saying, fuck it, Austin decides to burn Jane right there and then. But Jane just sets the whole fucking morgue on fire. And in order to put out the blaze, Tom has to put Jane out with a fire extinguisher. 
Austin and dad hear the elevator and carrying the axe, they make a quick run to their escape. And just real quick, her body is untouched. Untouched. She never gets lit. I mean, she's on fire technically, but her body is unharmed. No, the skin is just completely unblemished and pure just as it ever was. Yeah. Before they can jump into the elevator, however, the door slams shut and the elevator can be heard heading to other floors. They wait for it to come back, but the dead ringer bell begins again, ringing at slow intervals and getting louder. Dad and Austin make it into the elevator, but struggle to get the doors to close all of the way. And as the bell ringing gets closer and closer, Dad readies himself with the axe. He waits and watches, and a flash of blood moss startles Tom, and he lunges forward plunging the axe in before backing into the safety of the elevator the music here too like i i didn't i haven't really noticed the score too much in this movie but right here it's like such a tension building moment where they're hearing the bell get closer you see tommy like ready with the axe and it's like Mm -hmm. just ramping you up and your heart starts pounding it's a cool moment the bell stops but it's replaced by the sounds of gasping and gurgling. And as Austin peers out, he sees Emma on the ground with an axe wound to the chest. Oh, God. Whoopsies. Ugh. Austin watches his girlfriend die in a very heartbreaking, wailing, can't handle it way. That's terrible. And I cried the first time I watched this because dad is so absolutely shocked that he hit her. He didn't. It wasn't her. It's not what he was after at all. That was blood maw. I know. The elevator dings and dad urges Austin back inside, pulling him to his feet. The elevator doors close and the elevator grunts and groans and stops. They get trapped in the elevator. Mm Mm-hmm. Later, Dad examines his side again. Dad's broken ribs look fucking painful. Mm-hmm. Austin says that he told her to come back, and Dad says it wasn't like it was your fault. And while logic is well, logic is like, yeah, Dad, it's your fault, oh, it's right. not, though. Yeah. There's, like, supernatural shit happening. Yeah, you can't be held responsible. We also find out here that Dad asks his son if he knows why Dad called his mom Ray. He says it was because she was his ray of sunshine. That she always thought it was corny as hell, but she was like pure sunshine when she smiled. So he had no idea that she was dealing with so many things when she killed herself. So we, so this is where we find out that mom did in fact die. She killed herself and dad had no idea she was even sad. Yeah, because he says something like, there's no way you could have known. Um, I didn't know. And, and then... Uh, Tommy's like that's what everybody told me there's no way you could have known but I should have seen it like I should have seen that she was you know depressed or whatever yeah later Austin ponders why Jane hasn't killed them yet dad says it's not for want of trying but Austin says look at what she can do Austin thinks if Jane wanted them dead they'd be dead already and every time they've cut into her she's tried to stop them every time in the crematorium smoke billows out through the walls Cutting any line of sight to anything that might be coming to kill your ass through the thick fog. So now they're trapped off, they're blocked off from like any visibility because the Mm -hmm. hallway is full of smoke. Mm -hmm. Austin decides they have to finish the autopsy, that everything that has happened has been in response to everything they do here. Dad asks if he really wants to go back in there, and Austin resolved responds that if they can get to the bottom of what she's all about, maybe they can stop her. As they walk through the fog slash smoke in the hall, Dad and Austin struggle to see. Austin coughs. 
Dad says to keep moving, but just then a screaming she-wolf panther slices Dad up and Austin carries him back to the morgue. It is like an unseen force. It's a woman. You can see that it's a woman. I'm wondering here. I'm wondering. I mean, I don't know what they did with mom's remain. Like, was it? his wife it wasn't because it wasn't it wasn't so's your face because her face wasn't did you get like the briefest briefest glimpse of her it wasn't burning man and it definitely wasn't um blood mom blood mom and i'm also just thinking when he was having his little ray of sunshine speech like he summoned her no well no but the song open up your heart and let, let the, the sunshine, sunshine in. in and so i'm wondering if like it's that particular song is meant to kind of prey on his psyche a little bit and oh, put him in that state of maybe. mind like maybe jane is teasing him with that particular song anyway i literally just thought of that so i apologize we, but. but that's that's the thing this movie does that it's yeah like, maybe this is true yeah um as soon as they are safely back in the morgue Austin grabs a scalpel and works to conclude the autopsy. They pull back her skull skin. Mm, bone apple tea. <laughs> and then they saw through the skull and expose the brain. Austin looks under a microscope at a piece of brain tissue and the blood cells are alive and active. Mm-hmm. Very red, very moving. Dad says that's why we couldn't find a cause of death. She's still alive. Austin says they burned her, cut out her heart. Dad says something is keeping her going. Austin opens the cloth and folds it to discover the words Leviticus 20 to 27, 1693. Dad rushes to his bookshelf to find the passage. Any man or woman who consults with the spirits of the dead shall be put to death for they he trails off. Dad, 17th century Northeast New England. He finishes the passage. They are a witch and their blood is on their hands. Yay, Salem Witch Revenge movie. Mm-hmm. Dude, Ta-da. okay, so this was nearly the part that made me quick quit this movie. Really? I have things, but I'll move on for now. Okay. Um, but yeah, as soon as I as soon as I hit the oh, it's a Salem Witch thing, I was like, Are you fucking kidding me? They, and I kind of gave up. But, but but I feel like they address it. Yes. Um, Dad reasonably says. They were no, there were no witches in Salem. They were kids, young girls, falsely accused, wrapped up in hysteria. And I'm back. He does stipulate, however, that they didn't hang Jane or burn her at the stake. They tortured her mercilessly. The ritual didn't work, Austin said, believing it must have been some kind of ritual to squash evil. Dad wonders what if the ritual accidentally did the thing they were trying to destroy. What? Dad? No. Dad I does mean, a Dad's pretty, grasping at straws at this point. Dad does a pretty miraculous 180 here, and I'm not sure how I feel about that either. Like, you didn't believe Jane was responding to the things you were doing to her, but you can believe that maybe the ritual made her evil. Like, I don't know. It's a little weak. And it, I kind of was like, what? Okay. I'm quickly fine again, though, by the next scene, because, again, the acting here... Dad says everything they've done to her. Jane can feel it. Dad lifts up his shirt to show the deeply purple wounds up and down his side. And he says she wants us to feel it too. Mm-hmm. That's why she's keeping us alive. This is her revenge. This is her ritual. We were in her path. Stops along the way. And those who survived buried her. Because Austin asks, why us? Like, why is she fucking with us and he's like why the Douglases? why yeah, anybody she's fucking with anybody in her past we were there we showed yeah. up yeah 
No one got close enough. No one has seen what we've seen. Dad continues. She's still suffering and it won't stop until and he trails off. Until what, Dad? Austin says, until what? Something suddenly slams against the outer doors of the morgue and Dad leans down to Jane and whispers, I won't fight you, but please, please don't hurt him. Then Cox gives one of the most painful to watch performances I've ever seen. Yeah. I believe him as his wrists and ankles are snapped, his flesh is sliced, and black smoke escapes from his lungs. Jane repairs her body as the color of Tom's eyes is drained from uh, drained to gray, and he begs Austin to end it. Actually, he doesn't. He looks at a scalpel and mm-hmm. then just says, please, to his yeah. son, who's like crying and like, dad, no, I'm not doing that. Yeah. But just as the pain, just as the cries of pain get more extreme, Austin finally stabs his father with the scalpel. He cries over his fallen father and the power comes back. As the radio plays, the storm has stopped and Austin can hear Burke shouting out to Tommy and then Austin. Relieved and also absolutely in trauma shock, Austin makes his way down the hallway to open the door. Burke yells that the storm knocked down their tree, but they're clearing it. And for Austin to just open up the door now. And Austin sobs and yells to Burke that he can't. The door is stuck. Try it now, Burke insists. Austin again says that he can't. Should open up now, Sheriff says. Open up. I can't. I can't, Austin cries. Open up. Open up your heart and let the sun shine in. Oh my fucking god. Goosebumps. Oh my god, when the sheriff started singing, I was like, fuck. (laughs) Oh my god. That was like probably the most like creep up my spine moment of the whole yeah, movie. It's like 1408 screaming, yes. I was out! I yes. was out! Because yes. like you get this, you're like, oh, he's he's saved. I mean, mm-hmm. yes, dad's dead and his fucking girlfriend's dead, but he's saved because Burke's there, but no, he's not. No, he's no, not. No, he's not, That's not really. Burke. So, God, it makes me want to watch Fallen again, too. Yeah, same. Anyway, Austin is obviously fucking spooked and backs away from the hatch as he hears Burke's voice continue to serenade him and the bell rings one more time. Austin turns to see a corpse version of his father and he falls over the railing and falls and hits his head and dies. A subdural hematoma, maybe? I don't know. Callback or something. In the next scene, detectives try to make sense of what happened. As the radio cheerfully announces the fourth straight day of sunshine... Dude, what the effing fuck? This the storm was never real. <laughs> blew my mind. I did not notice this until the most recent watch through where yeah. he's like, it's another beautiful day. Fourth day in a row. Same. And I, that storm was never fucking real. Never Everything happened. they were hearing on the radio about the weather was all Jane. It's all Jane. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah, me too. The lieutenant reports to Burke as he looks down at Tommy's body, scalpel sticking out of his heart. She says there was no sign of forced entry. It looks as if, but Burke doesn't let her finish. He says he knows this. Fa- he's known this family for 20 years, and whatever lo- it looks like, it ain't it. The lieutenant asks Burke what he wants to do with Jane, but Burke tells the officer to get Jane out of his county. Yeah. Next, we see the coroner's wheel Austin and Dad out of the old house in body bags. Finally, as the officer driving the van housing Jane mm-hmm. talks to his girlfriend or wife about 
it only being one time. <laughs> I don't know. He's on the phone with her and we don't really get... On his truck radio. Yeah. Uh, it starts playing Let the Sunshine In. And as the camera pulls tight in on Jane's feet, she wiggles her big toe and the sound of a little bell. The end. Oh, God. So great. So... Alan, yes. What did you think of the autopsy of Jane Doe? Um, I loved it. First of all, I want to mention I had said I was going to come back to this. So, yeah. where Tommy mentions that she's all torn up inside, yes, in her internally, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I did know. You know, we went into this this time knowing already that the reveal was going to be that Jane was tortured as part of the the Salem witch trials, most likely. Potentially, yeah. So I wanted to kind of go in and look at if there was any kind of like factual backup for some of the things that we saw. Obviously, her lungs were damaged by smoke. Witches were, you know, suspected witches were burned at the stake. Um, so certain, you know, her her lists, her wrists and, and ankles being broken because of being bound. Okay, mm-hmm. all that. But I was like, I mean, it's an absolutely morbid and terrible thing to look up. But like, was there any kind of like, quote, internal investigation done of suspected witches? I mean, the answer is, yeah, most likely some of them were sexually assaulted and whatever. But... One of the things that they would look for is a witch's mark or a witch's teat. Nipple. Yeah. Yeah. And what that was suspected to be the witch's teat was like, this is what they feed like the devil's minions. Yeah. And they would look for anything, a mole, a skin tag, a blemish, yep. anything. To, to the point where like women were cutting off their own warts and moles so that they wouldn't be suspected right. of which the, Which the, you know, witch hunters would then say, oh, you were obviously trying to hide something. You're in league with the devil. Right. Because, <laughs> because white men. Anyway, um, mm. there is a documented instance of them looking for a witch's teat internally um so i was thinking that that could have possibly been it it also could have just been something you know equally disgusting and nefarious but yeah that was my only you know i also because it, it was unexplained and i just kind of i wanted to know why and so yeah. that was potentially i also why. found out that this is the first a horror movie that this director ever directed. Yes. So he said after watching The Conjuring, he wanted... Yes, He, he watched it. The Conjuring and he's like, you know what? I want to direct a horror movie because I think the other movie he did was like Troll Hunter or something. He's yeah. Norwegian. Um, and this movie, I believe, was on... They call it like... It's not a blacklist because that sounds bad. It's called like The Black Book or... There's basically a list of scripts that are... In in like up for grabs, kind of, mm-hmm. you know, nobody's nobody signed on to direct them. No studios have signed on to make them. And it kind of goes around Hollywood and they're like, there's all these available scripts. Do you want to take a crack at it? And he found this one and, and wanted to do it. Yeah. Um, but overall, I loved this movie. It was really good. I love the effects. Brian Cox's acting is just sheer freaking perfection. Owen Kelly being able to lay as still and dead as she did for however many hours of shooting. Oh my God! Like I think Brian Cox said, if yeah. there's if there's an act, uh, Oscar for corpse acting, she should get it. Oh and I completely God, agree. Seriously. She's awesome. Um, I don't. I think there were some like mental gymnastics made by Tommy's character to get to the oh she's a witch part, and kind of got like neatly wrapped up at the last second. Mm. 
once you kind of know the twist, the rewatchability on this one's not particularly high. Um, I'm like, although we did find both find things on rewatches, but true, true. But after watching it for this and kind of dissecting it, I'm like, I oh, no. don't know how many times I'll rewatch this if ever. Not yeah. that it's a bad movie. No, it's just I'm with you. This isn't one of the ones you throw on in the background because you just love it so much and you, you know it's quotable or whatever. Right. Um, a lot of a lot of things happen in the silence and so it's a movie you need to pay attention to and yeah. you know it's not a just shut off your brain and enjoy it kind of kind of ride um, yeah. but no overall great movie i'm glad we covered it and yeah. um artistically it's it's beautifully really done good what about you what did you think well okay before we get to that i do want to like give my not so serious theory but a little bit of a theory oh, yeah, yeah. on the conclusion jimson weed can cause hallucinations and death they obviously and i i'm like okay so they obviously hallucinated the whole thing and killed each other mm, mm-hmm. um like, or at least Austin ate some Jimson weed, killed Pops, his girlfriend, and himself. There's zero there's zero movie proof or science to back any of this up, but you will let me die in this hell. But, like, maybe her body was, like, poisoned by the Jimson weed, and by touching her, like, they got a contact high from it? They also died of the Jimson weed, and since she was, like, partially unearthed, like, maybe the kid was working down in the thing, and, like, he got poisoned by the Jimson weed. And killed so the killed two the people. people. I'm just saying it's not it's it's a stretch but I'm like that's what happened it is not a 100% (laughs) unreasonable theory no um but it's also I don't really take it all that seriously yeah in all seriousness I love the old-fashioned vengeful spirit story this movie has Mm -hmm. it has built-in folklore and it uh, to it because the Salem witch is a long debated subject were there really witches in Salem yeah I mean of course they were just girls This movie shuns the skeptic and tells the audience in no uncertain terms that subjecting someone to so much abuse can build the very evil they are trying to extinguish. I have to admit, the avid horror movie watcher in me hard-rolled my eyes to the reveal of the Salem Witch angle. I was pissed that we didn't get a more nuanced story or a deeper history. Mm -hmm. She's just a tortured girl from Salem, that's it? And to me, I was like, Ah, fuck. But everything else is redeemable for me. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, is that a deal breaker? Right. And in the end, no. I mean, I have now probably watched this movie four, possibly five times mm-hmm. to do the script. I'm probably going to be done for it. Yeah. Done for a while with it. Like, it, but it is a good movie. I wouldn't. I wouldn't tell people not to watch it or no. that they can skip it. No. But at the same time, I'm like. But is it like the end all be all of like the revenge spirit or no, like there are others I think that have maybe done it a little bit better, better. Yeah. Um, But for, like I said, for art's sake. And it is a cool theory to be like, well, she wasn't a witch, but because of what they did to her, the torture kind of made a vengeful spirit. You know, that's a, it's a good story. Yeah. Um, But it, it is a little like tacked on at the very end and then right. everybody dies at the uh, end. I don't know. She uh we made her that way. Right. <laughs> now we're died. And like, then and then like um Tommy's character being like, okay, inflict your pain on me and don't hurt anyone else is also very tacked on. And then Tommy immediately dies and we don't anyway. Like we don't get a lot of payoff. This the story about the mom, the acting around what happened to Austin's mom is great. 
Yeah. Was it necessary? Eh, probably not. It was um, Andre Overdahl said it's one of his favorite scenes because he's like, I just pointed the camera and let them go. The acting's great. Yeah. But I don't know if it really belonged in this. Like, we didn't need a bunch of character development for this movie. Well, it seems like it think, didn't fit. If you're going to have character development, you have to be able to take it in a few more angles. Yeah. And while the autopsy stuff is great, I think they, that that was so drawn out mm-hmm. the at, like the methodical way that the autopsy was conducted mm-hmm. i probably would have been willing to see a few less shots of the actual autopsy progression yeah. if i was able to get a little bit more into the folklore of why jane is the way she is yeah and we never really got that it's like oh here's a cloth all it says is Leviticus and like a thing about a witch. And then it's like, oh, but it's, she's a same Salem witch, but maybe she's not, but maybe we made her that way or maybe we didn't. Yeah. It's real. It's real. A little sloppy. It's a little sloppy. So that said, what are you, how many days are you renting this movie for? Um, yeesh. I know. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I, like I said, the rewatchability is not high. It's it's a fairly well crafted movie. It's worth watching for the effect alone. Um, but with that said, I think this one earns about a seven day rental from me. Um, wow. I'm shocked because I'll tell you in a minute. Go okay, ahead. Um, it's like I said, it's not. Uh, there are movies I like way more. There are mm-hmm. movies I like way less. Mm-hmm. But again, in in. <laughs> I wouldn't say I enjoyed this movie from like as a piece of entertainment, but I definitely enjoyed it from a piece of craftsmanship. It's a yeah. cool story. You know, yeah. I haven't really seen, you know, people are afraid of dead things, but I haven't seen a corpse as the source of the evil before. So yeah. the story was was fairly unique. Yeah. Um but yeah, this overall this gets a seven. Why are you shocked that that's my rating? Uh, because my rating is a six. Oh, okay. And I never in my life thought that I would rent body bags for more days than the <laughs> autopsy of Jane that's, Doe but I am man that's I what's am what's funny about this whole this whole rating system it's kind of like I was like how can I possibly rate Christine the same rating as I'm rating yeah. body bags and how can I rate um session 9 higher than yeah. night of the living dead it's just it's subjective. It's all and, subjective, yeah. You know, if I think if we'd had different like And it's for fun and it means nothing. No, I mean and, I mean <laughs> shit. Arbitrary if, I'm sorry if anybody process. out there is listening with like our ratings as a guide uh, as the end all be all to what movies should be rated. I'm sorry, you're in the There's, absolutely wrong place. I have place. no criteria and I come up, come up with it on the fly. <laughs> I don't usually know when I'm gonna rate it until, until I say until it, I say it out, out of my loud. mouth. Yeah. Um but I, I'm with you. I feel like if we had different categories of criteria, like what's the entertainment level rating? What is the craftsman? But it's not. It's just like, um, that sounds, like about more, that sounds like more work. Yeah, I know. We, I'm like, no, no, no. We already write scripts and do notes. I don't want any more work. Um, but yeah, actually, I'm I'm glad. Yeah, okay. So we're we're in fairly in the same line of thinking of, yeah. of how this movie should be rated. All in all, like I said, good movie. I'm going to skip it for a while. All right. We'll put that one back in the drawer. Yep. Thanks. That wraps it up for this episode, listeners and lurkers. Thank you for joining us here on The Last Isle. What did you think of this week's episode? Let us know on our social media channels, at Last Isle on Facebook and Twitter, and at Last Isle Pod on Instagram. We look forward to hearing from you. 
We'll be back next week with a new episode. So sit back, cuddle up with your favorite bone saw, and grab a healthy snack of air-popped Jimson weed, and come peruse the selection of movies in the last aisle. See you soon.